four chapters. Jesus, recognizing their sorrow, well, why would it trouble them? As I said, if they understood any of the ghost, why would the Holy Ghost pick those things? See, we wouldn't know anything about the comforter if it wasn't for John's letter. We would know from Luke that the disciples were commanded to wait in Jerusalem until they received power from on high. We know that's the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And it's evidenced by speaking in other tongues. We get that. We know that. But we wouldn't know what the Holy Ghost was given us to do. We would know about the name of Jesus. We know, for example, in Luke chapter 10, where the 70 were commanded to go and preach uh, the gospel of the kingdom and to heal the sick if the people would receive them. They come back, and remember, they recounted the, with great joy, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us in your name. Well, that tells us that they were accustomed to using the name of Jesus when they preached and went into different places. But the name of Jesus is not given us in just that same way now. There's an element, there's an aspect to the name of Jesus that unlocks spiritual truths, unlocks secret places with God, and becomes the foundation for our answered prayer. We wouldn't know that unless the Holy Ghost had prompted John to give us this gospel. And not only that, but much of the early church between the time that Jesus was raised from the dead And John writes these things some 60, maybe 65 years later. These are truths that John writes that many of the church didn't know beforehand. So what does he talk about? He talks about using his name to do the works that he did. Using the name of Jesus to unlock the power of God. Let me back up a little bit again to verse 13. He said, and whatsoever you shall ask. In my name, this word ask, as we've said numerous times, does not mean to beg or pray for. It's, it simply means to call for, require, demand. See, John lets us know, along with some of Paul's writings as well, but John lets us know through the things that Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, the night of the Last Supper. John lets us know that Jesus identified what the name of Jesus was supposed to do. Well, what was it supposed to do? Well, the first thing we see it was supposed to do was to carry on his work on the earth. He's not talking about asking God to do things. There are times where we ask God to do things. But God's original plan to make man the God of this earth or God of this world, meaning when he put Adam in charge of everything that he made, God's plan hasn't changed from that original intent. God can't change. He can't change his mind. He can't change his purpose. And he wouldn't need to because everything he thinks and does is perfect. Well, what did he originally think to do? Give man authority and dominion in the earth. Now, I know the devil tells you you don't have authority and he does. But the Bible says differently. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus tells the disciples how Once he goes to the Father, once he makes a way for salvation, opens the door to salvation for all of us, them included, them first and then us following. He gives them a blueprint for how they can carry on and do the same works here on the earth that he did while he was here. Now, I know a lot of the church world, well, I assume this from the way they preach. I can't say I know. I don't know anybody else's intent. 
But I assume from the way that a lot of the church world preaches that they don't think that we have authority. Or maybe I could say it this way a little better. They think it's arrogant. And therefore it would be out of the will of God for us to have the kind of authority that Jesus talks about as using. And the church has a problem without a shadow of a doubt. The church has a problem with Christians believing they can do what Jesus did. You want to make Christians mad. You, start go, you go out and do the works of Jesus. They'll want to lynch you just like they did Jesus. However, God doesn't have a problem with it. These are the things that Jesus said we would do and should do. And he doesn't say you can do the same works that I did and greater works because I go to my father using my name. But don't get big headed about it. Those are not things that he thinks. Those are not things that he territories that he approaches. He simply says, I'm making a way for you in the father to regain the authority that was lost in the garden of Eden so that you can do the same stuff you've watched me do for three years. And it's all centered around his name. Again, John 14, 3, or 14, 13, excuse me. And whatsoever you shall ask, call for, require, demand in my name. That will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Please notice the things that glorify God in what Jesus says during this last night with his disciples. He first tells us that it's the use of the name that glorifies God which is a lot of what the modern day church tells us we shouldn't do. Well, if we don't use the name of Jesus to perform the same works that he did on the earth and even greater works as he said we would do, then how is God going to get glory from us? What is it about us that's going to glorify him? Too much of the church world thinks that if we act like we don't have anything and we're dust, uh, like the dust of the earth and we're worms, our righteousness is as filthy rags, yada, 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 yada. That that glorifies God. Well, if that's true, Jesus didn't know it. Jesus talked about powerful things, supernatural things, miraculous things done in his name. And those things would bring glory to God. See, God's not too worried about you taking credit for what's done. Anybody and everybody can see who we really are. So nobody's going to see a miracle that takes place and turn around and look at us and say, Wow, you're just like Jesus. Instead, they're going to say, wow, God still does this stuff today. So he said, whatever you ask, call for, require, demand in my name. That will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He says it again in verse 14. If you shall ask the same word, call for, require, demand. Anything in my name, I will do it. Again, he's not worried about mankind getting too big for his britches. He's not worried about people going to outlandish extremes. Now, the reason for that may be because he spent three years teaching these guys. And he expects for his character to rub off on them. Well, that would seem legitimate, wouldn't it? And his character should rub off on anybody that follows him according to the word, shouldn't it? But he doesn't qualify it. He doesn't say if you're good enough if you're mature enough if you're knowledgeable enough of the word he doesn't make any of those qualifiers he just simply says if you call for or require demand anything in my name i'll do it you can't get any simpler than that 
He doesn't say, if you call for, require, demand anything in my name, I will do it unless. He just simply says, use my name and it'll do it. I will do it. Again, he talks about the Holy Ghost, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter that you may abide, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now, he's not talking about coming back. He's talking about coming to them in the person of the Holy Ghost. Skip down to verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. What other gospel writer tells us that? Nobody. How does John know this? Or does he know this? Maybe he's just remembering back to the things that Jesus said. But folks, this is where the things get interesting to me. And and I hope it is to you. may not be. I don't know. But this gets interesting for me because John's had 60 years for the Holy Ghost to remind him of things that Jesus said. 60 years to remember things and understand things that he didn't understand before. I doubt very seriously if Thomas and Philip would have been of the same opinion after the resurrection as he was or as they were on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Once they were filled with the Holy Ghost, wisdom and revelation began to come. And it's like, oh, that's what he was talking about. No wonder he upbraided us for our unbelief. How stupid could we have been? These are guys that learn about the Holy Ghost through experience, through demonstration, through moves of the Holy Spirit. Were they as smart as us? Not a chance. They just had power. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong for us to have the knowledge that we have. And I love searching through the Word. I love digging everything that I can get out of the Word. I love that. But it's not supposed to be managed as a substitute for power. In fact, it's intended to enhance the power that we have. Okay, I'm spending too much time on some of this. Skip with me over to chapter 15. He talks about relationship. John 15, 1, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman, every branch In me that beareth not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Skip down with me to verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask, same word, call for, require, demand. You shall ask or demand what you will and it shall be done unto you. Notice the importance that he places on the word. The word brings you knowledge of the plan and the purpose of God. It helps you to understand what God's will is in the earth. Not just for everybody, but for you as an individual. And based on that knowledge, based on what the Bible says belongs to us. 
If we're abiding in him and abiding in the word, then we'll ask whatever we want, and it'll be done for us. Again, there's no qualifier on this. There's nothing where Jesus says, now, don't get in the ditch on this. He doesn't try to caution us. I think too often the church, if they ever get to some of these verses, they spend too much time cautioning people so that it takes away any faith they might have for results. The church is trying to walk such a fine line. Don't be arrogant. Humble yourself before the Lord. God will humble you. God will break you. None of that stuff is biblical, folks. The Bible says if we'll humble ourselves, God will exalt us. How's he going to exalt us? He's going to exalt us by the results that his name brings forth in our lives. It's all about the name. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask, call for, require, demand what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Let me talk about this word ask for just a minute. Where it says ask, where... um, In the Greek, the definition of this word, as I've said several times already, to call for, to require, or to demand. It's the same principle as if you make a demand on your checking account. I don't see checks that are printed this way much anymore, but it used to be that almost every kind of check would have something on the left side of the the payer line, or payee line, I guess it would be. It used to say pay to the order or pay to the demand of. And you wrote on the line whoever you're making the check out to. And for whatever amount you make that out to, you're entering into a contractual uh, relationship. You're telling whoever you give the check to that your bank account has sufficient funds to cover the amount of money that you wrote on the line. When the bank gets the note or the check, it is only because it is presented by the person that the check was given to. And the bank is legally obligated, assuming you have funds sufficient to cover the check, the bank is legally obligated to pay because of the demand that the payee made to the presentation of the check. They're obligated to make good on that check. Now, that relationship, we all understand that. I might have gone into too much detail Or the situation might be a little bit different based on your account or whatever it might be. But nowhere in that transaction is anybody concerned about attitude. See, whoever you give the check to can uh, can present it to the bank. And it doesn't matter what their attitude is. It doesn't matter if they're mad when they present it. It doesn't matter if they're happy when they present it. It doesn't matter about any of that stuff. It's simply a demand made on a contractual right. That's what Jesus says we have. He says we have spiritual resources available to us from the bank of heaven that we can make an unlimited supply or an unlimited demand on in the name of Jesus. The problem with too many people is they're not convinced there's anything in the account. 
Now, folks, if you really knew that spiritual resources, and by resources, I'm talking finances if you need finances. I'm talking about power to heal the sick. I'm talking about power to create or perform miracles just like Jesus did on the earth. If you and I were really convinced that those things are on our account in heaven, we'd be living a whole different life. Are you out there? We would not be in any kind or any form of hesitation whatsoever. We wouldn't be questioning ourselves about using the name of Jesus and putting a demand on those resources. We'd just do it. And folks, that's how the early church started off. They didn't have anything except the power of God in the name of Jesus. They had the Holy Ghost that would lead them. They had the Holy Ghost that would direct them and guide them just like we do. But they weren't cluttered up or discouraged by part of the church teaching that it doesn't really belong to us. They were the ones, and in the beginning they were the only ones, that knew anything about these things and these spiritual resources. And as the Holy Ghost directed them, or as they came upon situations where it seemed like the right thing to do, meaning if Jesus was here, this is what he would have done, they just did it and it worked. Now why did it work? Because there's power in the name of Jesus and you've got the Holy Ghost backing you up. The two things that John wraps the story up with. Okay, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Verse 8, notice this. Herein, in this manner, you getting spectacular or supernatural results. The name of Jesus working for you on your behalf. To carry out the will of God in your life. Herein in this manner. Is my father glorified. That you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. Now what fruit is he talking about? He's not talking about character. He's not talking about developing patience. He's not talking about developing the peace of God. He's not talking about strengthening yourself in faith. He's not talking about any of that kind of stuff for fruit. The fruit he's talking about. Is the result. That the power of the name of Jesus brings. Whatever you put a demand on, because you're abiding in him and his word is abiding in you. Whatever you use the name of Jesus to produce, that product, that producing through the use of the name of Jesus is what brings the Father glory. Now, we've already seen that before. In the previous chapter, one of the things that Jesus said is that the Father would be glorified through the use of his name. He's saying it again. Could that mean it's an important point? I mean, why is Jesus repeating himself? Because he wants us to get it. And John, over 60 years, is remembering back to these things. Over 60 years later, John's thinking about the things that Jesus said the last night he was with them. Now, folks, John was a man that was known by love, by his love for others. He's considered to be the apostle of love. So all through these 60 years, assuming the Holy Ghost doesn't talk to him about writing letters until the end of his life, nearing, uh, well, getting close to 100 years old, 95 years old, maybe. 
He's been thinking about this stuff for 60 years. He's been remembering what Jesus said for 60 years. Can you imagine the kind of services this guy would have? He was the overseer of the church at Ephesus, the most famous church of its day. And its day was during the time John was there. Timothy was the pastor, but John was the bishop and the overseers of all the churches. You remember the letters to the seven churches in, uh, that starts off the book of Revelation? Well, those seven churches were kind of on a circuit. There was a road that connected all of those, and you could kind of walk the big circle and get to each one of these towns. John was the bishop or the overseer of all those seven churches. That's why God used him to give a message to the churches. Because the churches he's writing to know exactly who he is. They know his credibility. They know his life. Who better for God to pick to deliver some good news, mostly bad news, to some of these churches because of their attitudes and the way they're operating. John's been thinking about this stuff for 60 years. Perhaps every week of his life, something will come along and John's eyes would be opened and remember something about being with Jesus during those three years and say, that's how that fits. Wouldn't it have been fun to spend some time with this guy? You know, the, the funny thing about this, at the end of John's life, he was so revered. His health had begun to fail him. And apparently, according to historical documents, he wasn't able to travel on his own or walk from place to place anymore. So he had a group of people that would bring him in. You remember the, remember the four guys that let the crippled guy down through the rooftop to get to Jesus? Well, there were men that would carry him around on a little cot, transport him from one place to another. It wasn't because of sickness and disease, but according to those historical documents, it was just the frailty of his age. He was so aged. People didn't live long like that in those days. And so people would gather around and want to hear what was Jesus like. And right at the end of his life, John would only preach on love. And some people got mad at that. Some people said, why won't you tell us the stuff about Jesus? And his reply was, if Jesus was here, he'd teach on love. Do you get anything out of this? I love this stuff. Okay, verse 15, chapter 15, verse 8 again. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Notice verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you. Remember Jesus is saying this the night that he's betrayed, just before he goes to the cross, hours before he goes to the cross. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy may be full. How many times do we see this? Over and over and over again, Jesus is saying, my name works, the Holy Ghost has given you to help you so that your joy may be full. God wants your joy to be full. So if there's something about our lives where our joy is not full, one of the first things we should do is check up and see whether or not we're utilizing the gifts or the keys to the kingdom of heaven that God left for us, meaning the name of Jesus and the work of the Holy Ghost, the presence of the Holy Ghost. 
These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy may be full. Verse 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Now, folks, if that was true of them, the disciples that John's relating back to, it's got to be true for you and me too. There's no respecter of persons with God. If he chose them, he had to choose us too. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, destined for you, in other words, that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. See the word ask there in verse 16? Same word, call for, require, demand. He's telling us now for the third time, God is glorified by you using my name successfully. Now, some people might look at that and say, well, yeah, he wants us to go out and minister to the lost. Well, that's true, he does. But that's not what he's talking about here. Where he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done of you. My Father, herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. He's talking about you living a successful life first. He's talking about you finding and experiencing the power of God and the power of the name of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Ghost with us for yourself, not for other people. Skip down with me to verse 26. But when the Comforter has come, remember the two things he told us about the two things that the Holy Ghost impressed John to write to us that we wouldn't have known otherwise. The use of the name of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Ghost and his work within us. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And you also shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16. He talks about persecution. Skip down with me to verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient, better, helpful, even though the persecution is coming. Even though they'll hate you just like they hated me. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient, helpful, better for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you shall see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Notice man wasn't judged by Jesus' ministry. Jesus' death did not judge mankind. It judged Satan and sin and spiritual death. Verse 13, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come. Folks, this Holy Ghost business must be serious. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. 
There's a work of the Holy Ghost that reveals to us God's plan and purpose and his intent for us in this life on the earth. There's a work of the Holy Ghost who we certainly know is the power of God in operation here on the earth. We know the Holy Ghost is the presence of God. We know the Holy Ghost is the character of God. So as we grow and develop and mature in these areas, character, power, and the presence of God himself, as we grow and mature in these things, it provides something for the world to see. I think maybe the church is too focused on trying to get things done. When if we just lived like Jesus lived, people would see it. If we just committed ourselves to God's plan and purpose for us here on the earth, then there would be an abundance of times, maybe not every day, but there would be an abundance of times where the Holy Ghost would prompt us to do things that would draw people's attention to the power of God on the earth. And then we'd have opportunity to say, this is about Jesus. That's what the disciples did. When they, they meaning Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, ministered to the guy at the beautiful gate of the temple. They simply said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. Now folks, in the, within the first month of the Holy Ghost being poured out, this event happened in Acts chapter 3. They didn't know about righteousness. They didn't know about Paul's revelation. They didn't know anything about anything. The first thing Peter does after they get filled with the Holy Ghost is go back to the Old Testament way of picking people. So he had them draw, cast lots, roll dice literally to see who was going to take Judas' place among the twelve. Is that scriptural? No. Is that the way that we're led by the Holy Ghost in the New Covenant? No. Did God want to replace Judas with one of the ones that were standing around part of the seventy? We don't have any record that he told anybody to do anything about anything. Peter's taking an action in the flesh, well-meaning, but an action in the flesh, using a means and method that is long gone and was gone as soon as the Holy Ghost was poured out. And they had miracles. They didn't have to know everything. They had to do everything right. But what they did have to do is know what they had. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he grabbed him by the hands, lifted him up, his ankle bones received strength, and he was healed for everybody to see. When they were called before the um, religious leaders and questioned about these things, they simply said, this is about the name of Jesus. Before the, the religious leaders took them away, People started asking, what are you doing? How would you do this? Where did this miracle come from? You remember what Peter answered? He said, why look you so earnestly on us as if by our own power or our own holiness we'd make this man to walk? The two things we know that it was not is their own power, special power that we can't have, or a place with God, a place of holiness that we don't have either. And that's mostly what the modern day church preaches. The disciples were able to do that or the apostles were able to do that because they had special power. 
Well, if anybody ought to know if they had special power, shouldn't it be them? Peter said, we don't. Well, because they were part of the original group that was with Jesus, they were holier than we are. Well, if they were holier than we are, shouldn't they be the ones to know about it? Peter said they weren't. The Jewish council took knowledge of Peter and John that they were ignorant and unlearned men, but that they had been with Jesus. Folks, there's so much more than what we're utilizing. There's so much more power. There's so much more of the comfort of the help of the Holy Ghost, the guidance of the Holy Ghost, than what we're taking advantage of. With all the miracles that Jesus did, with all the good things that we know a little bit about as recorded in his life's stories in the Gospels. Remember, John was the one that said if everything Jesus said and did was written down, the world couldn't contain the books. Do you know how little we know about Jesus' life and ministry? We get a minute snapshot, a quick peek at the life of Jesus, the miracle working power of Jesus' ministry, the miracle events that took place in Jesus' ministry. And yet Jesus said it was better for us that he go away. Because if he didn't go away, then the comforter couldn't come. If he didn't shed his own blood to provide righteousness for mankind and to deal once and for all with sin, spiritual death, and the devil, then the Holy Ghost couldn't come. And he said that's better. How many times have we thought if we could only be alive when Jesus was here on the earth? And Jesus said the day you live in is better. Folks, there are keys that unlock the resources of heaven. Those keys are the name of Jesus and the presence of the helper, the Spirit of God. Well, there's a lot more that I want to say, but we're running out of time, so let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for revealing to us these wonderful keys, the things that belong to us, that unlock the resources of heaven. Thank you that whatever we call for or require or demand in the name of Jesus is done. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for abiding with us forever, for guiding us into all truth, the reality of all the things that belong to us, the reality of healing, the reality of prosperity, the reality of the peace of God, the reality of who we are in Christ, the reality of the peace of God that was made available to us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding us into all those realities. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing to our remembrance all that Jesus said and for showing us things to come. Use us, Lord. Show us how to cooperate with you so that we, through our actions, through our lives, can glorify the Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you got something out of this tonight. I like this stuff. Like I said, I hope you do too. Thanks for being with us. God bless you. You're dismissed.